Hello, and welcome to the Divorce Woman's Guide podcast, where we talk about the things us divorcees are thinking, but not always talking about, as we turn our divorce into the best gift you've ever been given. And I do so with a little bit of sass and a whole lot of class. I am your host, Wendy Sterling, founder of The Divorce Rehab. I am here to support you in this transition phase of your life so you can start your new, best chapter on your own terms. After all, that's what I did after my own divorce. And now it is my mission to change the conversation around divorce and help you see why your divorce, like mine, was the best gift you ever received. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Divorced Women's Guide podcast. How are you doing today? I hope that you're having a fabulous day and enjoying whatever sunshine is outside side of your window. I am especially excited about today's episode because I am here with Christine Lucan. Hello, Christine. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Welcome to the podcast. And I'm really excited to have a conversation with you today about how we can all heal our relationship with money. Such an important topic to everybody and especially my listeners. So before we dive in, I'd love to share a little bit about you with our audience today. So if you guys are ready for money to support your happiness rather than stress you out, then Christine Lucan is your coach. (laughs) She is a financial (laughs) dignity coach and she will be in your corner. So as the founder of the financial dignity movement, Christine, has coached hundreds of high-earning professionals, business owners, and divorcing women to pay off staggering amounts of debt and massively increase their net worth. The author of several books, including Money is Emotional and Financial Dignity After Divorce, Christine blends wise money management with emotional intelligence. And when she's not coaching clients from her home office in Cincinnati, you can find her as a member of the National Association of Divorce Professionals curled up with a great book a fluffy cat and a strong cup of coffee. (laughs) My kind of beverage, especially on days like today (laughs) where I'm navigating (laughs) summer vacation with two kids home. Um, But Christine, welcome. And, you know, I always ask my guests because I think that it's important for everyone to know how it is that you came to do the work today and what inspires you to continue down this path. Yes. Well, I always love to tell people that I I didn't get into this work because I've always done it perfectly. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So I crashed and burned financially in my mid-20s, despite having an accounting degree, despite working as an accountant for a multi-million dollar company. So here I was, you know, running the books for this very profitable business and bouncing my own checks at home. And a big part of the problem was I was engaged to a guy who had terrible money habits. Uh, He was in and out of jobs and even in and out of jail. And I thought if I just loved him enough that he would change. And he did, he got worse. So by the time I was ready to leave that seven year relationship, you know, we were together from the time I was 19 until 26 I was ready to leave, but I had no money. 
to leave. So we were living together. Uh, our finances were entangled. Uh, my, my credit was shot. I had no money to leave. So I had to turn to my family for help. Now, my parents didn't bail me out. You know, they didn't just lend me money or pay my bills for me, but they did give me a safe place to stay and regroup. And my dad sat me down and he said, all right, we are going to need to put together a plan for you. And I want to just make the point that I knew how to do a budget. However, when I looked at my numbers, I got really emotional. Mm. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people who've gone through divorce can relate. Um, you know, like each of those bills had some kind of dramatic story behind it. And it was very hard for me to be able to just look at things and figure out what the first step was. Mm -hmm. I often say it's almost like walking into your house after a tornado is struck. Like everything is a freaking disaster, right? And yeah. you're just like so overwhelmed. You want to slam the door and you want to walk away. So my dad did the equivalent of just saying like, hey, don't look at everything <laughs> here. See this coat closet right here? I just want you to clean and organize this closet. Don't look at anything else. And then when you're done with that, we'll meet again and I'll tell you what to do next. And so he, that's what he did. The equivalent of that with my finances, he'd say, okay, I just want you to focus on paying off this bill, like make your minimum on everything else. And then, you know, then we'll get together again and I'll tell you what to do next. And it was just exactly what I needed. I needed someone who was not emotionally attached to my money mess to help me get organized, to help, you know, clear a path for me and just guide me with those baby steps. Obviously, getting out of that relationship was a huge help to my finances because it was, um, you know, there was emotional abuse, emotional manipulation, codependency. I mean, I basically had a teenage son uh, versus a true partner. So just getting out of that relationship definitely getting counseling to heal from the codependency issues. But you know, once I was out on my own, my finances improved pretty rapidly. But I remember probably about a year after I left the relationship that I was driving to work one day and the thought struck me that I couldn't remember the last time I worried about money. And that was like a huge mm -hmm. shock to me because for the previous seven years, that, that was all I thought about. Right. And I was by no means, you know, out of, out of debt completely or wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but I had my plan. I was working my plan. I was seeing progress, you know, month after month. And that was just, you know, it's like, I was relaxed in a place that I had no idea. <laughs> like I, I thought that was the norm, you know, right. that everybody laid in bed trying to balance their bank account. You know, you don't get good sleep when you're trying to do that. No, definitely not. <laughs> not restful, that's for sure. No, no. And so, you know, I thought there's got to be other people out there who are going through the same thing and they don't, they don't realize that this is what they need to do in order to break this cycle. And so mm -hmm. it really just started organically as me volunteering and, you know, helping some of the people at my church that needed some help with budgeting and, it kind of snowballed into financial literacy courses. And then I found out I could get certified as a financial coach. And so I ended up leaving, you know, my corporate job 10 years ago 
and have been full-time coaching ever since. Good for you. <laughs> Cheers to leaving Thank corporate. You. <laughs> I know it's not easy. It's not for everyone. I will no. definitely say that you, you have no. to, uh, Oh, no, but it a was a passion, stomach. right? Like you were Absolutely. following your passion. You were following sort of like the crumbs that were, you know, in front of you that you weren't yeah. paying attention to. And, you know, and I think that the crumbs that you were following entering into a field that, you know, so many women feel disempowered, um, yes. you know, in, and I can attest to the fact that, you know, the financial piece of divorce was, horribly scary to me. It was yeah. one of those situations where I literally sat for like six weeks before putting through and going through my disclosures because I, you know, I had to face myself and go, holy crap, I don't know a lot of this information. And when did I check out? And, mm -hmm. you know, and so, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting is that so many of us have this kind of, and to everybody listening, you can't see me, but it's like your hands over your eyes and you're kind of peeking through and, you know, you have to like look at your bills right. or figure out how much money you're spending a month. Right. And, you know, we really have this, like the relationship that we have to money is, especially as women is one that brings a lot of discomfort. So, um, right. you know, I know that you've got some really good advice around that, but how, you know, how did you overcome that? And how do you coach your clients around, you know, shifting their relationship to their finances and, and to money as, you yeah. know, to be as well, and I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of people have never considered that you do have a relationship with money. And I often, right. you know, tell women that, Money's like the third person in your relationship. And unlike you and your ex, right? Unlike your ex, like you and money are going to be together forever. Like money is coming with you in, because in whatever form, <laughs> right? And we are always interacting with money. You know, if you think about it, rarely a day goes by that we're not spending money, making money, managing money, some sort of interaction with money. Right. But when we think about money as a person, and we think about, okay, in our marriage, how were we, we relating to that person? And maybe we weren't. Maybe we felt like our spouse and money were having this little happy affair over here and we were left out of the picture. Or right. we turned a blind eye and said, I don't want to deal with money. You deal with money. And basically what we've told money is you're not important. I don't even want to look at you, right? And so then we wonder, well, why don't I have any money? Well, if you were to say something like that to a person, they're not going to want to spend any time with you. So we really need to reframe it as that, yes, we do have a relationship with money and, you know, let's examine what's the state of that relationship. Not even, you know, not even looking at the numbers to start with. Uh, many times I will have my clients write a letter to money as if money is a person and, you know, say exactly how they feel about money. And it is extremely eye-opening because they'll say like, oh my gosh, like I had no idea that I was harboring all of these bad feelings mm -hmm. about money. And so of course it's like, well, no wonder I'm not doing well with my money because yeah. this is all the head trash that I have relative yeah. to money. And I think it can be hard when, um, when we feel like the other person in the relationship maybe hurt us with money because it's very interesting, especially in abusive relationships, 
financial control and abuse is very high. It's very highly uh, correlated. It's Mm -hmm. like over 95% with physical abuse. I don't think they have clear stats on, you know, like emotional abuse, but I have a feeling it's, you know, it's, it's up there. So sometimes, um, and I talk about this in my book, Financial Dignity After Divorce, uh, there was one woman who said, I hate money. I feel like it's a prison. Mm. And I'm like, wow, like there's some major, there's some major mindset layers that we're going to have to peel back and reframe this that, you know, money wasn't the one keeping you prisoner in this relationship, right? It's almost like your spouse was using money against you. It's almost like money is like the innocent child that got caught in the middle and was, you know, either kept from you or forced to do things that, you know, money didn't have a choice, right? Right. Almost like a child. So when I reframe it that way, then people are like, oh, wow, like money was actually kind of the victim in this too, you know? So just being able to get you and money on the same team is very important. And in my case, um, it was a little bit different because it was like, I allowed my ex to manipulate me to misuse our money. So when I wrote my letter with money, it was almost like, you know, I didn't protect you from him and the dumb things that he wanted to spend you on that I knew deep down inside wasn't a good use of you money. And, um, you know, and I, I took responsibility that it was like, I should have stood up for you and taken better care of you. And yet I basically blamed money for the problem. So I was like, oh, well, what, if I just made more money, then we wouldn't have this problem. And it's like, well, no, he's a lazy bum. And he, whatever money comes in, he's going to figure out how to spend it. <laughs> right. So it's not money's fault, but I had to go through that exercise of doing that to really uncover those true feelings. And after you've written your letter to money and you've had some time to marinate on it, then I encourage people to rewrite that letter and say, okay, let's say that it's one year, two years, three years in the future, and you and money have an awesome relationship. I want you to write that letter as if it were several years in the future, basically saying like, this is how I want it to be. And some people will go line by line and rewrite it that way. And so for me, it was really like, okay, I want to make sure that I am protecting money and doing the right things with money and standing up for both myself and my money, you know, almost thinking of money as like my child, like it's my job to take care of us and make sure that we're doing the right things. And so that was, that was a very powerful shift for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you're talking about this, it's It's interesting because one of the things that I actually coach my clients around is what I call their money story. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, this could very well be seen as what their relationship to money is. And the reason that I, I wanted you on my podcast and I wanted to have this conversation with you is because I don't think people understand how our money stories, our relationship to money, Mm. how it impacts us And that it comes from a learned behavior that we watched, right? So yes, absolutely. I've talked about this as well. And I'm going to say it again. I mean, I grew up 
you know, I come from Holocaust survivors. And so money was non-existent coming to this country and money was very much something that was saved. It was invested. And um, I love my family and my grandparents, you know, I, may they rest in peace. And I, and I love them. And the story that I learned was that money could also be used as a way to control people. Mm -hmm. And I remember very vividly growing up how, you know, there were all these conditions around you'll be disowned or, you know, again, living the American dream, coming to this country, you know, marry a doctor, marry a lawyer, right? And <laughs> if you don't, and yes. marry a Jew. And if you don't, right. you will be disowned, right? And I say that because what I started to realize in my divorce, as you're talking about, like, really kind of exposing what your truth is about money. What I started to realize was that my whole story around money was that it was a method to control. And yeah. I realized how that dynamic played out in our divorce mm -hmm. and how it also created an emotional charge around yeah. my divorce, because, you know, let's be real. Divorce is a business transaction. It's all about dividing up assets, dividing up money mm -hmm. and signing a piece of paper. I mean, it sounds so sterile and it's just the reality of it. Right. right. But yet money evokes so much emotion in people. Oh yeah. So Let's talk about that. <laughs> yes. Well, and one of my pet peeves is financial professionals who say, just leave emotion out of it and make the logical decisions with your money. They're literally asking somebody to do what is physically impossible. Science has proven that the moment of decision happens in the same part of our brain that processes emotion. So mm. we can't take emotion out of our financial decision-making. But doing things like writing the letter to money, examining your money stories, because a lot of times as you write your letter to money, it becomes obvious what your money story or money right. stories are. Right. And then you can go back and say, is this really true? Do I want it to be true? Is this serving me? And then we can rewrite those stories. But if we don't know they're there, then we're fighting, you know, it's like we're fighting against an invisible enemy and uh, they've got the advantage. So what I tell people, you know, how can we make better money decisions and not let our emotions completely derail us? Right. We, you know, we as humans, we have the capacity for logic. That's part of who we are. And then we also have emotion. That's, that's part of who we are. We don't really turn off one or the other, but the way I like to explain it is that we have the voice of reason and then we have the voice of our emotions. So if we think about it like volume, so you almost want to think about it like maybe two iPhones and you know, we used to have radios back in the old day, right? But so you, you've got two radios or two iPhones and they're, they're both playing music, right? So the first one is that voice of reason. The voice of reason the volume is low and it's steady and it's always there, mm -hmm. but it's soft, right? So when your emotional volume is loud, you can't hear the voice of reason. So, you know, you've kind of got this nice, slow, steady, the voice of reason there. And then your emotions are spikes, right? So mm -hmm. when your emotion spikes high, it makes it really hard to hear the voice of reason. And what we need to do is just 
give ourselves some space to allow that emotional volume to come down because right. we really want to listen to both. You know, it's not like, oh, we just want to hear the, the voice of reason and do the logical mm -hmm. thing. It is also important to check in with our emotions because I don't know about you, but anytime that I've made a financial decision that goes against my intuition, it's turned out to be a disaster. So we yep. really do need to listen to both of those things. And I think it's a shame that no one teaches us emotional intelligence and how to manage our emotions. Sometimes we just need some space to process. I mean, if you just need to cry, if you're really angry, you may need to go, you may need to go for a five mile run. You may need to take a kickboxing class. Like we need <laughs> to move that energy out right. of our body because as you know, if we try to stuff those emotions, what's going to happen is they're going to spring out another time. And we're probably going to take it out on somebody who doesn't even deserve it, right? Like that's the time when you yell at your kid, when you really haven't dealt with something that happened last week with your ex that you're still upset about. I think, sorry, I'm taking notes because you're saying some really good stuff. Um, <laughs> Cause I learned something in every single episode. Um, I think that, um, you know, the emotional intelligence piece is so incredibly crucial in that mm -hmm we all realize how low our EQ is <laughs> yeah. until we go through divorce. And I think part of what we struggle with is, you know, again, like I feel like, you know, it's almost like emotional intelligence isn't something tangible versus money is. And mm -hmm. yet the two are interacting with one another in a way where it's like, well, one is tangible, one is not. And the way that I've sort of framed my relationship to money now to get out of my money story, right? Because we all get to shift what you were saying, like you have people kind mm -hmm. of reframe. And for me, it's really around, um, you know, money, money is love. Mm -hmm. money. If you see money as a weapon, if you see money in as a dark thing, then, you know, or a lack, right. Mm -hmm. Having a lack, then that's what yes. you perpetuate instead of money is really love. It is an exchange of love. Right. And trust me, I took me years to get through, to, to see this. <laughs> Right. But yes. that's how I equate something that is like a tangible, you know, money is a tangible thing to something right. like emotions, which is not necessarily as tangible. Like that's how I equated the two. So I don't know what your thoughts are around that statement. Yeah. The way I like to say it is money really represents freedom and options. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if some people are like, yeah, I don't really feel like putting money and love together, like that feels kind of weird. To me, it's like it is a tool. Money is a tool that right. provides us with freedom and options because you don't really want the money. You want the house that money can buy. You want the vacation. You want the tuition for your kid's right. school. So it's, it's abundance. Yes. Right? So it's not necessarily, oh, I just want a big room full of money so I can swim through it. Right. We, we don't want the money itself. We want the security. We want the things that it's going to provide for us and our families. It's, it's a tool. Money doesn't care how it's spent. It doesn't get a say in it. So a lot of times we, we give money characteristics that it doesn't really have. I mean, that would be like saying a hammer is angry. Hammer's not angry. It's just a hammer, right? It doesn't, 
it doesn't care what you do with it. You know, you could smash a plate glass window with a hammer or you could use it to volunteer for Habitat for Humanity and build a house for right. someone in need. So, right. you know, it's it's the same thing. Well, but money. I think it's the energy that you choose to put around it, right? Absolutely. So if you want to put that like positive energy into money, right, then, you know, and seeing it as something that is is a positive energy, right? Like, yes. I do believe also that money is abundant. Money is abundant to anyone and everyone. Mm-hmm. And along the lines of like, with abundance comes, right? Relief comes mm-hmm. options, as you were saying. Like, yes. you know, I think people tend to put kind of like this polarity around money when, yeah. when you do that, especially on the, you know, we tend to go towards the negative emotion as it relates to money, right? Lack. Yes always lack, Mm -hmm. um, or we judge ourselves based on the number in our bank account, instead of really kind of reframing and looking at the fact that, you know, you, you have a job, you're able to put money on the table. Right. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I also think that people have these grandiose ideas of like, well, I don't have savings, right. Or how do I grow this back up? Or I've lost half of my 401k or whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. what I always say is that like, it just takes these like small baby steps to create that abundance, to create that, you know, money freedom that we also crave. Like it doesn't have to be a thousand dollars that you're transferring a month. Like imagine what $50 every month looks like. And maybe the next month it goes up to a hundred dollars because you're like, oh my God, I have a little bit more this month. And I feel like there's such, um, I feel like there's uh, a way for us to really, uh, grow our emotional intelligence as it relates to money, because we're putting that energy into it. And so if we, to stay in the positive emotion of it is so crucial to really creating more of it. Absolutely. And you know, that's a a perfect segue to what I wanted to say next is that, yes, we have to have the good positive feelings, but then we need to pair it with the positive actions. And so when we think about having a good relationship with anybody, you know, yes, having the positive feelings, speaking the positive words, speaking positively about money is huge. Um, but spending regular quality time managing your finances. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people make this so much harder than it needs to be. Right. Um, you know, I advocate, I call it the weekly money date. Now, this doesn't have to be on Friday night at eight o'clock with a glass of wine, but if you want it to be, it can. But, you know, it just really needs to be a time that you've dedicated in your calendar to say, I'm going to look over my accounts and see how I'm doing. I'm going to look at my plan if you're tracking on, you know, personal finance app. I'm going to pay my bills if I need to transfer money to savings or investments. But I am putting in that regular quality time. And I tell people, make it an enjoyable experience. Turn on your favorite music. You know, if you want to diffuse some essential oils or light a candle, if you want to have, you know, your glass of bourbon or your glass of wine, or if you're doing it in the morning, you should probably have coffee. But, you know, spend that little bit of time every week managing your money, interacting with your money, because we can't have a good relationship with anyone if we ignore them and don't spend any time with them. It's just not going to happen. 
Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And, you know, I think one of the things I've learned too is the importance of having a budget and knowing what you spend a month, right? Because I yes. think so many of us are afraid to know, like, and a lot of people don't mm -hmm. necessarily track what it is that they're spending. What is your position around, you know, sort of like creating a budget for yourself and really analyzing your credit cards and yeah. seeing what it is that you are spending? So I don't like the word okay. budget because most people, when you say budget, they think diet, they think the equivalent of you know, a financial diet. So I always tell my clients, like, there's no financial keto here. You can eat carbs. <laughs> you know, this is the equivalent of like the Mediterranean diet. So I call it a spending plan. And it is one of the components of what I like to call the prosperity plan. So you have the spending plan, the savings plan, the debt reduction plan, and your long-term vision plan. Those four things encompass the prosperity plan. So what you would traditionally call the budget is the spending plan. Okay. People seem to like that word spending plan and prosperity plan way better than budget because there's so much emotional baggage around it, just like the same with the word diet. Right. And so if you want to call it your financial freedom plan, whatever you want to call it, but here's the thing, if you don't know where your money's going, then it's very hard to pay down debt and to build up your savings if you don't have a handle on your spending. Especially for most of my clients, they're making a good income. So it's not really about having something that's super restrictive. Right. It's understanding where everything is going, making sure that we're spending in line with what we really want. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of times we start digging into my client's spending and it's like they're spending money on stuff that doesn't even really matter to them. Right. And it's very rare that I have people cut out something entirely, which can be a surprise for a lot of people. And I did a post the other day that said, you know, here are some surprising things that my clients spend money on. Botox, gambling, you know, luxury cars. But it's like, we're figuring out how that fits into the entire plan. So yes, we're making sure that there's savings. So in case we have an emergency, we are, you know, we've got the plan to pay off the debt. Might they have to scale back, you know, for a period of time until we achieve some of these other goals? Absolutely. But what I find is people who try to do a very extreme approach, you can't stick with it for the long term. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is people never really learn how to have a healthy spending right. plan. So I always advocate that there's some fun in the spending plan every month. Now, unless right. somebody is in a negative cash flow position or up to their eyeballs in debt, you know, usually we can we can figure out a way to still have some of those fun things in there. Right. Well, I think it's important for us to still have some of that in there too, for us to yeah. feel like we get to have some fun, but I love that reframe. I actually have never heard that before. And I really, I feel like it's a more positive to me, budget has like a very negative um, connotation to it. So I really appreciate and love that reframe. Um, Christine, as we are coming to a close, um, this has been a such a great conversation. Like I said, I've taken a bunch of notes from some stuff that you had said as well. Um, what else would you like to leave our listeners with today around healing their relationship with money? Yeah, well, I think the, the one tip that I would give people is to start listening to what you say about money and just start writing it down. 
because mm-hmm. that's going to really give you a big clue into what are those money stories? What is the current state of my relationship with money? And start upgrading that self-talk. You know, how can we reframe that so that we're saying what we actually want versus what we don't want? Because a lot of times yeah. we're saying what we really don't want. And what most people don't realize is there's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system, and it is a filter. And it filters out things that aren't important to you. And it allows in things that are important to you. Mm -hmm. How does it know? Well, it listens to what you're saying. So if, and you've seen this in action, if you're like, I want to buy a red Mustang. Like if you decide I want to buy a red Mustang, Next thing you know, you see like red Mustangs everywhere, right? <laughs> it's so right? true. You do. You see it on you see it on the road. But like three weeks ago, when you weren't thinking about a red Mustang, is you're like, I hardly ever saw yeah. them. Well, that's because it wasn't important to you, and your brain just filtered it out because we've got billions of stimuli coming at us every single second, and if we didn't have that filter, our brains would be like a puddle of jello. So if we're saying things like making money is hard, or I'll never have enough. Your reticular activating system is basically saying, oh, noted, making money is always hard. So it will literally filter out and not allow you to see an opportunity to make money without a lot of effort. So So, important to pay attention. I always say you create what you think and it's super important to start paying attention to that. Christine, thank Mm -hmm. you so much for being (laughs) here today and for sharing your wisdom with my audience today. I have so much respect for the work that you do and I would love for you to share more with the audience on where they can find you. And I know that you have a free gift for everybody. Yes, I do. So you can go to my website, christinelukin.com. If you want the freebie, uh, please go to financialdignityafterdivorce.com. That will take you to the book page on my website. And there is, they can get the first three chapters of the book for free. There's also a free downloadable workbook. So if they decide they want to get the book, then this will take them through all the exercises, like some of the things we talked about today, writing the letter to money uh, is a big one in there, but it's a, uh, It will help them on their healing journey with their relationship to money. Amazing. And you guys, (laughs) all of this can be found in the show notes. And Christine is also on social media. So all of her links are also going to be linked here too. So you guys can connect, follow her. She's got some great content, great courses, great information that you guys should really take advantage of. Christine, thank you again for being my guest today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Of course. And everyone tuning in, I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. I know that I learned a lot of really important information. I loved many of the reframes that Christine gave to you guys today. And as you know, with every single episode of my podcast, my goal is to help you navigate wherever it is that you are, even if you've heard this information before, I know that it's landing and you're hearing it in a different way. So thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always sending you all so much love, light, and joy. Bye everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorced Woman's Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this episode with someone you know or spread the word on social media. 
This is how I reach more divorcees around the world and provide them with the support they need to create their next best life. And I would also love to continue the conversation with you. So please friend me on Facebook, join my private Facebook group, The Divorce Rehab, and follow me on Instagram at Divorce Rehab with Wendy. I'll see you next time.